You've tuned in to the very first Roundtable Dialogues, featuring Alistair Stewart, Colin F. Barnes, Starla Hutchton, and Stephen Godden. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Brian Humphrey. And you have tuned in to, to a, an utterly unique and brand new version format of the Roundtable podcast called Roundtable Dialogues. That's right. And we may have slipped into the dark recesses of some vast pit, but we're slowly crawling <laughs> our way back to the surface. Exactly. Exactly. Um, friends, so many of you have been so supportive of, of my circumstances knowing that my, my family issues have drawn me away from the usual format of the round table. Uh, but, but as so many of you have observed, uh, uh, I'm a podcast junkie and I cannot stay out of this field for long. And uh, this, this particular format, this, this new branch of the round table started on Facebook, actually, with a discussion started by a, a good friend and a talented writer that, that led into a keen desire to stop typing and start talking what a shock, right? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and uh, Google Hangouts was discussed, but none of us had a decent webcam. So it's like, it's got to be Skype. And if it's going to be Skype, it's going to be Roundtable. So there it is. Um, dear friends, joining us on the Skype line is a veritable rogues gallery of scoundrels and rapscallions of various literary bents. And I'd like to take this opportunity for each of them to introduce themselves so you know who we are and and <laughs> what you're getting into. Uh, Colin, why don't you start us off, sir? Oh, hi, thanks. Yeah, um, I'm Colin, obviously. Um, I'm a writer in the UK. Um, I specialize in sci-fi and techno-thrillers. Um, I tend to be more on a thriller side than the SF, but I like to focus on kind of near future SF rather than space opera. Um, and I guess that's kind of how this came about, was talking about near future SF and cyberpunk as a genre. Sure. And you're also a publisher with uh, Acheron Press? Yeah, that's right. We put out uh, anthologies. We've got a pulp line, uh, a few novels, and I'll put out some of my own products through Anacron as well, yeah. And when we wrap things up, I'll make sure uh, everybody has a chance to to tout and pimp cool. uh, appropriately. But uh, let's move on. Uh, Starla, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> I am Starla Hutchton. I am a unreliable uh, audiobook narrator <laughs> and podcaster. <laughs> I am also a book cover designer and I am an author. Um, I've just released a sci-fi romance book in a new adult vein. Um it's book one of the Endure series. It's entitled Maven. Um, not really sure what I'm doing here, but <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I never am. So, <laughs> hey, uh, actually, I've started reading Maven, and of course, Terry, my wife, has has been going gaga over it. So, uh, I think you're uniquely qualified. You've earned that seat at the table, ma'am. <laughs> well, uh, so, uh, next on the table, round as we go round the table. See what I did there, uh, Al. Go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. <laughs> no problem. I'm Alistair Stewart. I'm a journalist who wears so many hats. I sometimes have to bend over when I walk through doors. <laughs> Uh, you, some people will recognize me as the host of Pseudopod. Some people will recognize me as the host that isn't Norm Sherman on EscapePod. Uh, I also blog for SFX and uh, write Doctor Who role-playing game modules, almost none of which have been released or are currently available, which kind of makes them Schrodinger's professional work. It's kind of odd, but that's me. <laughs> awesome. uh, uh, and uh, last but certainly not least, uh, uh, Steve, go ahead and introduce yourself if you would. Uh, I'm Stephen Gordon. I'm, uh, I'm, I write both kinds of fiction. I write both science fiction and fantasy. I 
And that's uh, the only two there is, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I've got a novella that came out last year, which is science fantasy. Uh, I'm a member of a writer's cooperative called Firedance Books. And I've got an, a fantasy novel coming out in about two months. It's going through copy edit at the moment. And, and I'm Welsh. Yeah. And you're awesome. Welsh. <laughs> Very important distinction there. And and I've <laughs> I've actually been uh, pawing through some of the the wealth of content that's up there on um, what is what's the website that that write, write a lot write a lot yes write a lot dot com yes. uh, uh, and and superb stuff. So so there you have it, friends. That and of course uh, myself and Brian will be waiting in on the topic du jour. Uh, uh, and this topic was uh, uh, fostered by Colin, joined in by Steve, and then I waded in, and it became a free for all. And there's two basic bents to what's going on here. The the first key concept, I think, around which most of this discussion will will evolve is uh, uh, how does one write near future science fiction when scientists keep creating so much awesome stuff that makes science fact more awesome than anything we could postulate uh, in terms of near future science fiction? Uh, and a corollary to that, which came up during the, the initial discussion, was uh, the death of cyberpunk, which which kind of shocked and stunned me. But uh, I discovered that that actually Bruce Sterling, arguably the father of, of cyberpunk, uh, pronounced it dead decades ago. Uh, and I think these two topics are, are uniquely twined together. Uh, so so that's that's the topic on the table. So, Colin, you you planted the first seed of this discourse so so i'm going to lead it to you to to, to start us off how, how how does one write a near future sci-fi story when reality is so much cooler than anything we can write well um i think there's a, there's a number of approaches you, you you could try and do the extrapolation you know you can kind of look at science now or maybe if, you know a year ago and then see how that's progressing and try and use that to progress you know 10 20 30 years in the future or however far we can consider near future um you can do that but obviously you run the risk of getting it spectacularly wrong or <laughs> you know getting completely outpaced which is obviously the central to this point um the other way you can do it is to kind of go internal and look how that affects society and individuals so therefore the technology becomes a macguffin it's almost irrelevant it's the, the impact that it has on people and how the people react um, so I think with there you, you've got issues where you could talk about the ethics of cloning. Um, you could talk about you know what happens when uh, you know it's just the singularity might happen. You know with the, we've got quantum computers now. Um, what happens when computers can do things that humans can't do in everyday situations? You know we've seen it before with robotics and the loss of jobs. You know right. where do people where will people go when computers start impinging on you know the jobs that we currently definitely need people for. Um, so the armed forces, for instance, is becoming a lot more drone orientated, a lot more ro robotic orientated. You know, will we become just operators? You know, so I think I think that's one way of doing it. Um, sure. I'm sure that obviously the panels will have other ideas, but for me, when I'm writing near future, that's what I try and try to do is either try and extrapolate intelligently enough that you're going to get it mostly right, um, and also then try to focus on how that affects people. But as I say. It's, we are posted a few things up recently. Just blow my mind. Like we can use DNA now as data storage. Right. You know, it's, it's Mega. crazy. I'll, I'll epic, epic amounts of data can be stored in a yeah. single data molecule. Holy crap. So, and you invoked a very cool word, which I think is going to be circled around to later in the discussion, the singularity, uh, uh, and definitely mm -hmm. let's discuss that. Um, Starla, what about you? Your, your, uh, your recently released Maven novel is, 
uh, a science fiction romance, actually, uh, uh, which is uh, an unprecedented <laughs> blending of genres. Well, I wouldn't say unprecedented. Well, <laughs> I am not the first to do it. <laughs> no, but you did it very well. And and I know that you relied heavily on uh, uh, research for your story. Did you run into issues where, where the technology that was was cooler than the technology you were going to incorporate into your story? Well, I kind of took the uh, extrapolatory approach um, like Colin was talking about in, in a lot of the things. I, I did happen to, even as I was writing the story, I would find things that um, I could either use or things that I'd already kind of, you know, quote unquote, invented, but I found out were actually like real things, which was <laughs> <laughs> very cool. But they, they weren't to a point in the technology yet where they would be considered common. Um, so Maven is like 40 years in the future. Um, so I tried to take uh, what's being developed or what has been developed and try to build on that. And then also taking into account, because it is a sci-fi romance and it's focused very intently on the characters, um, you know, I made the science very, very accessible. But uh, because it's so focused on the characters, it's more about how that, rather than explaining the technology, uh, how that technology affects the characters and uh, and what happens in the plot as because as a result of that um, so yeah i'm 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 not the first person to to tackle sci-fi romance and no no and uh <laughs> did you feel and since obviously since this is such a fresh moment for you um uh, uh did you feel did you feel any kind of um I don't know, uh, trepidation or or did you find concern over the advancement of technology uh uh holding you back or, or causing you to fret about the technology that you were evolving in, in the story itself? Uh, I, I don't know that. See, for, for me, writing is such a fun thing and really it's, it's fiction. So <laughs> I try not to take it too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, yeah, it can be a little frustrating. You're like, Oh, I just thought of this really cool thing. And then you find out that it's actually a thing. But for me, that actually makes it more cool because that means other people are thinking about this too and making these things that I'm thinking about real and that's incredibly cool for me. So, so rather than being, you know, frustrated by the pace of technology, I'm excited by it, and it informs my works and makes it that much better. Outstanding. See, there you go, friends. Write that one down. That's that's a that's a healthy attitude, I think, in this world of rapid technological advancement. Um, Stephen, uh, I, I wanted to ask you. I, I know that your your oeuvre of work, and I've been dying to use that word. The, your <laughs> oeuvre of work uh, uh, is is broad and diverse, and and you. You've, you explore uh, many speculative elements in your work. Have you run into this in in your writing? Has this has the specter of of imminent usurpation of your ideas by actual tech uh, uh, hamstrung you or or caused you to pause in in your creative pursuits? Yeah, it gets harder because um, I I casually mentioned in the story that Colin published, uh, Belonging, that somebody printed off a gun, three D printed a gun. Right. And then, like two months later, somebody <laughs> made a three D printed gun. Right, it, it, you know it, that sort of thing happens. You know, it's. Uh, I think what in near future science fiction now, you're going to have to be writing alternate futures the way uh, you write alternate histories. You write, you write the future that, and you just assume that you're not going to get it right. You just write it, and you, you extrapolate what could happen, but whatever you come up with, they're going to come up with something. Much, we're, we're 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 shooting up a cliff. It's like um, exponential. It 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 just keeps speeding up. I'm 49 years old. I grew up in a house that didn't have a phone in it. 
right. the first video game I played was Pong at the <laughs> service station. You know, and the first computer I owned was a ZX81, which had 16K RAM pack on it. And that was, that, you know, that, that, and in my, 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 my lifetime has gone from mobile, mobile phones, people having gigabytes of, of, of memory, a gigahertz of, of, of power in their computers. And it's not slowing down. There's no, there's no plateau in sight. Moore's law is not going to break down. It may slow down a bit. It may get two or three years instead of being 18 months for Moore's law for the doubling of computer power, but it ain't going to slow down. It's just going to keep on going. Yeah. And all this technology and science is being driven by processing power, just increasing all the time. Yep, yep. You know, so. Absolutely. And I think, I, I think that you have, you gave me an aha moment just in, in, your, in your discourse, the, the notion of thinking of sci-fi as, as not the future, but an alternate future like an alternate history that's brilliant because that instant instantly frees you it liberates you from from having to be right or or to be a prognosticator of the future and you just say this is how it is and you build the story from there that's outstanding well yeah well cyberpunk didn't get it wrong they got it wrong about like the nihilistic nature but they're not wrong about the corporations moving in to run the world rather than the governments, are they, really? Right, it's, no. We, you know, if the, they're not doing the banks over for what they did to the, did the world economy, so obviously the corporations are in charge. They just haven't, they just haven't needed to be taken over by the Yakuza. They just, they're already like that. <laughs> yeah, but that's inevitable. And, and I don't think yeah. it's going to be the Yakuza. It's going to be probably the Chinese Tongs. Uh, <laughs> is going to take it over, yeah. so awesome. So, Alistair, your, your scope of experience... Uh, uh, spans multiple genres multiple media uh and and you you are like a, a great vast sponge oh spec fic uh so so what what is what's your spin on on this whole this whole issue of near future sci-fi alt future uh, uh creative expression well, honestly, my, my first instinct is, is basically to point at the, the three profoundly brilliant people that you have on and go, um, what they said and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> However, I, I, I'm, I'm going to basically say what they said and, and elaborate on, on that a little bit. I, I'm, I'm really loath to say this out loud because I really like Bruce Sterling and I, I really like his work. And I, it's not that he's wrong. It's that I don't think he's quite taken the point all the way to its logical conclusion. Cyberpunk hasn't died. It's done arguably the only thing that Cyberpunk really could know how to do. Win in a way which was apparently invisible. So much has changed since Neuromancer, since um, Sterling's early work, since you know the just unreadable nonsense that Walter John Williams inflicted on the planet about genetically engineered centaurs and chess. God, that book. Um, and the thing which I, I find really interesting is being able to draw a straight line between that down through the authors that, that you have on to really three other locations. And the first one is the kind of early 21st century work of um, comic writer Warren Ellis, specifically Global Frequency. Global Frequency is a it's the the shape that cyberpunk was going to become. The short version is it's essentially Thunderbirds for people who understand what that is. Oh my! Very obscure, <laughs> very very obscure nineteen sixties science fiction rescue puppet show. So global frequency is basically. <laughs> I see. I, I I'm I'm so glad you said that because the, the, when I was in the US last summer, the amount of people I talked to about Thunderbirds and they went, what? 
was was disturbingly high. And didn't Bill Paxton do a really bad remake? Of yeah, they did a remake oh, of it just a few years it, ago. Yeah, it, it, it was it, it was very very awful. Um, <laughs> I, I watched that having within about three days of having broken my arm by falling off completely flat surfaces, and, and it still didn't improve even with the pink. <laughs> But Global Frequency was basically Thunderbirds with added swearing and occasional sex. And the gimmick behind it was that this was an organization of 1,001 specialists whose job it was to defuse the unexploded bombs of the 21st century. Things like the first functional military cyborg. Things like an out-of-date kill satellite from the 1960s Star Wars program. Very cyberpunk, but cyberpunk on the connective edge with airport fiction and mainstream action thrillers and that sort of thing. So that's one. Um, the other one that immediately leaps to mind is uh, an anthology by an English writer called Tim Morn called Paintwork, which is cyberpunk at street level. And not the street level that a lot of cyberpunk has pretended to be at and failed, but actual street level. Um, a little while ago, Tim put together a stunning, just stunningly good movie adaptation, just a little eight-minute long version of the title story, Paintwork, which is about anti-graffiti drones. And that connection between kind of low to mid-level civil disobedience and drone technology in that perspective just runs all the way through the anthology. He has a really interesting take on it, that the future is still the future, but you also still have to put your pants on one leg at a time, you know? Well, and that's brilliant just because it's taking the, 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 the notion of drones, of a high-tech thing, and grounding it so profoundly in a very mundane and, and common uh, affliction that we all are confronted with every day, graffiti. That, that's inspired. Right. Exactly. And of course, much like Stevens already mentioned, less than six months after Tim wrote this story, Germany rolled out plans for an anti-graffiti drone fleet. <laughs> <laughs> and the, 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 the third string, I mean, I'm, I'm a kind of unabashed fan of, of action movies that only their mother could love. Uh, I have, a, I, I've spent a lot of time with these things. And there was a flick that opened here a little while ago. And I'm not sure whether the US have got it yet, called Welcome to the Punch. Now, it's got an awful title. Uh, it has a very good cast. It's James McAvoy, Mark Strong, um, David Morrissey, a couple of others. Oh, wow. And the, the entirety of the plot is about a private security firm trying to privatize by stealth or disgrace by stealth to steal the contract away from them, the Metropolitan Police Department. It's a cyberpunk movie, but it's a cyberpunk movie presented as a crime movie. And those three... Points along with Colin's work and Stahler's work. Stephen, I'm, I must apologize. I've not read anything by you. I intend to change that very quickly because your work sounds great. Thank you. Uh, but I mean, taking the three authors that you have on and those three examples I've got, what you're seeing, and this is an awful, awful pat phrase, but I'm a journalist and that's what we do, <laughs> is that cyberpunk hasn't died. It's gone underground. It's got respectable. Those six separate approaches are so separate and so unique and yet can all be tied back to dystopian science fiction, can all be tied back to cyberpunk and near-future SF, that you can't possibly say that this is a genre that's dead. It's a genre that's evolved, and there's a world of difference between that. Oh, I, I would totally agree with that because mm -hmm. you see so much of, I mean, there's so much cyberpunk in just like, regular books now you know I mean, even exactly. mine you know there there could there could be definitely there, there's parallels you know one of my guys is a tech guy and there's a lot of that in there and it's just become so accepted that nobody even blinks anymore when you see that type of 
you know, thing, whether it be a movie or a book or a short story, anything. But but is a genre the 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 sum of its tropes? Uh, a lot of the the stuff that I read in, in preparation for this talked about the the spirit of of cyberpunk, the the nihilistic view, as Stephen pointed out, the the just that that dark shady underground you know they've actually come up with with lists of how to create a cyberpunk uh protagonist and and a cyberpunk novel Uh, what what i'm what i'm hearing and and i'm i'm hearing it and then this is a plea for education because clearly i'm i'm not hearing everything what is the distinction between the trope and the genre i i think the, the, the distinction is the same as the old definition of science fiction it's what you point out when you're talking about it yeah okay um, to, to give you an example, the Fast and the Furious movies, the cyberpunk movies, I can prove that with graphs. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Can you walk us through that? Yeah. Um, three or four of the primary tropes which have always attracted me to, to cyberpunk and kind of near-future SF are fetishization of technology, like the cars in the Fast and the Furious movies. Okay. Um, the idea of the collision between how can i put this the collision between street level and slightly feral new century familial units like the group of street racers turned thieves in the fast and the furious movies okay and either organized crime or law enforcement that's the plot Mm. of five and a half of the flicks at the very least (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely you're right you're absolutely right, and and yet we wouldn't say that 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 Fast and the Furious is a cyberpunk movie, but it is. Well, yes, I, I agree. By by the description you just gave, it meets all of those criteria, and and yet it's 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 a it, it's a car action Vin Diesel vehicle. I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> and well, it's, it's cyberpunk. A cyberpunk movie. <laughs> you know, but but on, but on that, I think the reason why these things don't look like cyberpunk anymore is because our society has basically become the tropes and the nihilistic view of things that were written back then. You know, Stephen mentioned earlier on about the corporations. You see it all the time now. You know, recently we've got the NSA scandal, you know, and the whole Ed Snowden thing's blowing up. You know, we are living in a cyberpunk dystopian future. It's just that we're so used to it because it's crept up on us bit by bit by bit. And it's in all our media, it's in our films. Everything is a reflection of the things that were predicted uh, society-wise from the cyberpunk stories, you know, during the 80s. Um, obviously, some of them are more outlandish than others, but as as Alistair said, there, you know, you you can, you can look at films and you can extrapolate these tropes. They have become exactly. very, very sort of deep-seated or deep-rooted cultural things that we're just aware about. Uh, sorry, that, that we're not aware about, but are in our in our life. We're, we're perpetuating in our in our in our media, in our fiction, it's, in the stories that we're telling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're just ideas and things and they're repeated so often that they become life and we don't see them as tropes. That's so. That, what do they become like uh, self-fulfilling prophecies then at some point? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's an infinite feedback loop. It's, it's kind of, you know, everything's, how can I explain it? I'm kind of reminded of Snow Crash, you know, oh, yeah. in there mm-hmm. where, yeah. where, you know, the power of the words and it's, it's kind of like that. And it's, yeah, it is self-fulfilling. The more, but it's, it's but one doesn't feed the other. It kind of feeds itself. That's what I mean by it's kind of an infinite, infinite loop and everything kind of feedbacks. And I don't know. I don't know whether it's something that's inevitable or whether it's something that we're steering ourselves towards because of something that's happened prior to cyberpunk and these other tropes. Let's face it, they're not unique to cyberpunk. But, 
yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely a deep cultural thing, and I think cyberpunk highlighted a certain set of those ideas, um, and they've become deep-rooted in our society now. So that's why people think, oh, cyberpunk's dead. It's not really. Um, you just, just can't see it anymore. You, you can't see it. No, and the only way to see it is by looking at it from a more extreme view. Um, if you go onto, say, Amazon or whatever, and you look at some of the uh, stuff like the indies put out, now, obviously, I'm slightly biased as an indie writer myself. Um, but, you know, there's a really thriving community of cyberpunk stories put out by indies, you know, obviously because publishers don't want to touch it because it's a so-called dead uh, dead genre. But, yeah, it's, it's alive, it's there, and it's doing lots of interesting things. It just doesn't get the, the mainstream view. Well, do you think that part of it, too, is that maybe as an audience we've become a little bit um, tired of single genre stories. There's so many mashups of so many different genres that maybe that adds into the evolution of it. And so while elements of it are in just about everything that we see, there there no longer is a pure cyberpunk story without it pure, mashing right? up with other things. Yeah, no, I agree with Starla. I don't think there's any, any pure anything. It's, it's right. every, Everything's just too interbred. There, there's, there's nothing pure. There's nothing natural. Everything is an amalgamation of something that's come before. Um, you know, there's literally nothing original. There's nothing else to do. There's nowhere else to go. The only way to do is to look at things, like combine certain tropes and combine certain ideas. Um, Steve mentioned earlier on about the alternate um, universe idea or alternate history. That's essentially steampunk. You know, that's, that's taking that sort sure. of technological idea and those uh, sort of political views and sort of putting them into that zone. So, no, I, I think it's so mixed now that that's why, you know, genres, they kind of blow up really bright and then they disappear, you know, or they get marginalized or they get wider. Um, or they I get absorbed think, like, like yeah. cyberpunk. I don't so, think so. So fiction has just become a giant melting pot at this point. Yeah. I think so, yeah, absolutely. If you look at a lot of the, sort of the cross-genre stuff that's coming out now, it's only really because of marketing that wants to keep narrow... Uh, genres, you know, they keep slicing and dicing it ever thinner oh, till we get yes. stupid things like new adult. Thank you. Don't be knocking. <laughs> 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 Let me explain. That, that's Starla's wheelhouse, which dude. is a I, wonderful I, I genre, by the way. With the, with the people that need to put things in a box, but yeah, it, it is a marketing thing. But people want to be able to find these books, and they say, "Okay, I like this. Well, what else is like this? Well, this is also new adult. So let me try that." So uh, there's an advantage to that. There is. Oh yeah, no, uh, yeah, no. I agree in terms that genres help steer people towards something they're more likely to like. But on the other hand, I think when you dice it so thin, to uh, it's probably wrong of me to use new adult as the example. Yes. I will because I've brought it up. But <laughs> no, you're not. You're it, fine. You're just yeah, no, fine. But the problem is, it's dicing <laughs> it to a very kind of narrow age group and set of people. You know, it's just clearly these marketing bots have sat there and thought, right, let's devise a marketing plan, let's come up with our ideal read, and all this nonsense that these marketing people do, not realising, in fact, that they're, they're making it much harder for people to discover books outside of these genres. You know, so often you'll see readers and they say, oh, yeah, I'll read urban fantasy, and you say, oh, have you read this or this? Oh, no, no, I don't like that, it's urban fantasy. And it's like, well, how do you know if you don't read outside of your genre? And I, I think genre, and when you dice it so narrow, it railroads people. And I think, in a way, cyberpunk had that problem. You know, it had that stigma of a very, this is a cyberpunk story. Nothing else is cyberpunk, only these tropes. Um, and obviously, over time, as it expanded, it kind of lost the cyberpunk title. And that's why it's now essentially dead, but it's still there, just not under the guise necessarily. I wanted to go back to Stephen just real quick. Stephen, you had, you had started to say something when we were talking about the, 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 the genre mashups. Did you have a something to add? Yeah, I... Revelation Space by Alice, um, Alistair Reynolds, isn't it? That is cyberpunk space opera. 
<laughs> Revelation Space. Yeah, Revelation Space. It's, it's, yeah. it's got the nihilistic. It's got the people who travel at the with the time dilation effect to um, morph their bodies, who, who do all sorts of body modification, and they travel on on trade ships and they go around. It's 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 space opera and cyberpunk. And you, you could argue that um, the culture novels of E.N.M. Banks are say based off about added with cyberpunk because the ship mines are the ultimate expression of what's what we'll, what we'll end up with where human beings become pets of AIs which is essentially what the culture novels are so I don't think what cyberpunk did, what cyberpunk did it was like a new wave in the 60s it didn't die it just changed the entire field of science fiction it's impossible now to write a science fiction story without some aspect of cyberpunk being within that story which really is is kind of an affirmation of of the dramatic success of the genre. Yeah, it may not have the nihilistic viewpoint. It may be more utopian and like uh, the culture novels or whatever. But it's still, it, 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 but it's still the technology. The technology is a technology, and once we realize that um, computer power is going to because don't forget, Cyberpunk came out in like 82, 83. That's before the, ex- the explosion in uh, computers. Up until that point, people had mini computers, were mini, super, mini mainframes that you, that you had terminals coming off. Or, right. off. Nobody had like uh, a PC in their house. Well, and, and you know, there, there's that great, uh, uh, the first, I think it's the first line of Neuromancer where the sky was the gray of a TV stand yeah. tuned to a dead station. And <laughs> there's been a lot of chatter about how you'd have to explain that to half of our readership mm-hmm. at this point. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, because it's all digital, so it's just black. <laughs> exactly. There's no frost anymore. So I'm, I'm thinking that maybe it's not that, you know, cyberpunk itself you know kind of died as a genre but as this technology actually became available in real life it it became not so much fiction anymore mm-hmm. and because of that because it was real life then became incorporated into fiction across the board rather like a computer virus <laughs> oh yeah i just did that i just did that yeah no but that's exactly the point isn't it because that's basically what comes back to what started this off was as a near future sf writer you can't outrun the technology because it, it becomes obsolete so quickly and as steve was mentioning about moore's law things are happening exponentially quicker so yeah, if you if you had a genre that's kind of surrounded by a, a certain level of technology that cyberpunk was, then that's going to be out of date in months. <laughs> you know, so right. yeah. so yeah, it's, I don't think you can define a genre now by its technology. I think that's the key. I think SF has to go somewhere else. And and is it is it? Again, I'm asking uh, uh, this, this panel of esteemed guests. Um, is a genre defined by the types of stories? that it tells or is it the tropes or is it a combination of the two? And I think I've answered my own question, but I'll put it out to the table. I think there are only three main genres. Okay. It's historical, mimetic, which is present day and speculative. Mm-hmm. They're the only three, they're the only three genres that you can't break, you can't break them down. It's either set in the past, they're set in the present day, or it's set in, a, in some place that doesn't exist yet or, or doesn't exist at all. Sense. You know, so that so that those are the only three, and everything else is a subgenre of those genres. And stuff like um, horror is a, it's a horror horror stylistic. You know, it's you can have horror set in a space station, you can have horror set in a um, 
in a haunted house, you can have horror set in a, in a council estate. The setting doesn't matter to horror. Fantasy is setting-based, alternate, alternate world fantasy, and science fiction is ideas-based. Well, you know now, I mean? we, we actually have a horror author on the panel, so I'm, I'm going to turn it over to him. Brian, what, 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 what's, your, what's your take on the whole uh, genre aspect of things? Well, I think that makes a lot of sense, separating it into, into past, present, and future. But um, I, I think that, that you're right, that there are certain tropes that it, it, a lot of it comes back to archetypes and what audiences are comfortable with. And I think one of the things that cyberpunk and, and science fiction does really well is it gets us out of our comfort zone. And horror kind of does that too, especially when we introduce things that, that either don't exist or are conglomerations of, of other things that make us feel kind of icky. Um, and so I think as long as we're, we're pushing people out of that comfort zone, then, then maybe that slips into its own, um, category of genre. But yeah, if you, if you go out and you take a really global view of it, then past, present and future makes a lot of sense to me. That does. That does. And what you were talking about, Brian leads to the creation of such, such things as like the aliens movies where you blend horror and sci-fi. I know Adam Christopher is, is planning to do a, a, a space opera ghost story. Uh, uh, cause he loves ghost stories. Uh, so yeah, going again, going back to that genre mashup vibe. Uh, and, and I, I, I know this, this discussion was intended to stay on the, the sci-fi cyberpunk zone, but I'm, I'm constantly intrigued by this evolution as you have all pointed out, uh, uh this, this, this transmogrification of storytelling where it is, there seems to be nothing but mashups and I don't say that in a bad way. And I certainly don't mean it in that absolutist sense that it came out, but, but genre mashups and the blending of the tones and the tropes and the, the, the types of stories being told is happening. How did that happen? What happened that changed the terrain of, of literature and the readership to, to create such a blending, such an alchemy of, of genres and, and have that be a, a mandate for for good new fiction, I'm going to throw that right in Alistair's lap because because I'm I'm betting <laughs> he, he can start us off on that one. Um, the really short answer is the internet, and the slightly longer answer is what for for me I've always felt the internet is not quite the the ultimate embodiment of, but it, it certainly follows the ultimate embodiment of it on Twitter. Culture is change. And that's something which fascinates me because I, mean, I, go, I come from a very, very small culture. So I, for the longest time when I moved to the mainland, I could get freaked out going to a city which had a building above five stories tall. Sure. Seriously. You know, <laughs> Indian food was a big deal for me the first couple of times I had it because on the Isle of Man, there's fish. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the end. <laughs> and the internet is really the ultimate... To, it's, it's the ultimate portal in a lot of ways. Culture evolves and turns into something else simply by putting it up against another example of it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a shelf in my office right now which contains uh, a toy Iron Man arc reactor, <laughs> a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic toy, a Fez, <laughs> and about 25 Lego minifigures. These are directly beneath a couple of books on judo, an awful lot of steampunk fiction, and a flag from medieval times. All of that 
has one thing in common, which is it's clearly the sort of thing which an enormous dork would own. And <laughs> have, but all the experiences which I got from reading those or collecting those or interacting with them or making little pew-pew noises with the Lego figures, as I sometimes have done when I've been on deadline, <laughs> it all interacts and it all feeds into everything else. And that is on a very kind of personal micro cosmal scale that's a word now um, done done an example of why we get so many of these genre mashups because once you extend something far enough once something passes that point where it's either going to die or thrive or at least carry on inevitably it's going to bounce off another genre or another author or people are going to do something interesting with it i mean back when i was attempting to write fiction and the thing which got me through the hard times, other than, you know, the love of a good woman, was the idea that it was okay that I was reading so much and that, uh, uh, that an awful lot of my early stuff was really starting to, you know, read an awful lot like, like Ed McBain with a little bit more chrome sprayed on it. Nice. Because that was what you do. You take your influences in and you build on them and you turn them into something else. And that's an individual author. I mean, I, I do it with journalism. You know, I, I've made no secret of the fact that my entire pseudopod stick is largely based on Jack Hillian from Midnight Caller, just without as much fantastic 90s hair. And <laughs> everyone does it. And every culture does it. And every subgenre of fiction does it. And we're at a point now and if I wanted to go really Alan Moore, I could point out that because we're 13 plus years past the point where, you know, past millennium fever coming up on a year past the Mayan calendar, we really are at a point now where we're out past the red line, culturally speaking. This stuff is going to continue to interact and wrap around itself because it's still here. And that opens up a tremendous amount of freedom to do really new and interesting things. And I've been talking way too long, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> and I'm actually going to hand it over to Starla, who, Starla, I know that you have uh, uh, written fantasy tales, uh, 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 sci-fi tales. Uh, you obviously have the, the heart of a romantic, uh, uh, deep beating in your heart, in your chest. So uh, <laughs> so uh, are you aware of, of the, the genre mashups that you do, or is this something that's very organic uh, based on your creative impulse? Well, I think it is a very organic thing. I think when when you reach a certain point in, like, you, you've got something that's, you know, a pure of something, like, you know, it's all cyberpunk, you know, e eventually you run out of things to do within that, you know, confined space. So exactly. you have to reach outside of that. And and I think that's natural in, in human nature, you know, when when you've tried all of the different foods in one grocery store. Hey, there's a, you know, Hispanic grocery store right next door. You know, let's go see what's in there. I'm tired of this food. <laughs> you, you know, so I think it's a very natural progression. And I've written, I, I have a steampunk book that isn't, isn't out yet, but it not only combines like the science fiction, but it's also got a magical element to it. And, and it works the way, the way it's written. Um, Yep. And, and and I think it's it, I think it's really cool the way you can have you know a, a scientifically built device that you know channels the magic of you know ether, and and, and this is a it's a it's a fascinating time to be a writer and to be able to pull elements from all these different things and all of the things that you've read and seen in your entire life, and you, I mean you can pull a Wizard of Oz reference into a fantasy novel or <laughs> you know. It, 
throw in little jokes from Star Wars that are very, very obscure and all in the same book. Sure, sure. John, so, so, John yeah, Joseph Adams just did that with the uh, the Oz anthology. Uh, and you see a, a broad spectrum of, of stories. That's an excellent point. Uh, and it is very liberating. I think certainly for myself as a someday soon to be writer, I, I feel what exactly <laughs> what you're describing, Starla. Um, Stephen, I know you're all over the map uh, from a speculative standpoint, and you seem incredibly comfortable uh, uh, and, and puissant in whatever genre you feel compelled to write in. Are, Thank you. Are, are you aware of, of the genre as you write it, or is it the story that defines it first for you? Well, I am a, I'm, a, I'm a seat of the pants, right? I'm a, pure, I'm a pure pantser. So I tend to just make it up. As, make, as, once I start, I will decide I'm writing a fancy novel, but I won't know what's going to happen when I start writing it. Okay. And but I, I, don't, I don't plan in advance. That, that I, do my, I do my outline between the first and the second draft. I don't do it before the first draft because I can't do it that way. It kills the story for me. So I don't generally know um, what's going to happen. Uh, so, but I do, so the I, genre I, I, comes out after you've written a little bit? Well, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, a lot of the time that's what happens. Or I'll challenge myself to, like, I don't know, write a cyberpunk story. Or um, the actual uh, stuff I'm writing about the genre tales started because somebody on a writing site challenged me to write erotica. I wrote erotica <laughs> and it turned into a speculative fiction story. By the time I finished it, it was speculative fiction. Um, so that, that sort of thing is, is what happens. But I think that, um, yeah, I, I, because I, I come from the golden age is where I started reading. The, the Lensman series is the first science fiction story I ever read. And interesting what Alistair said about Chrome and, and Ed McBain. When E. Doc Smith was writing the Lensman series, the first thing he did was sit down and read all the, all the crime novels and the thrillers that were around in, that, in those days. And then he turned that into a space opera. Wow. That's what the lens, because I read an interview wow. with him years ago. That's what he did, because the Lensman series is all about crime. I so didn't that, know that. That's brilliant. So he, so he read. So he went, that's how he got that hard-boiled crime sort of feel to feel some of the, some of the Lensman stories, and he's got this whole like two galaxies colliding, the Adorians and the Mentors, and all that sort of stuff um, as so part you, of it. But the actual Lensman were cops. So you've got genre mashups happening so far back, yeah, even at the pulp fiction. Yeah, yeah, it's nineteen. It's, 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 it's like I think it predates the Golden Age. I think that's a pulp page. Yeah, the Lensman series. Absolutely. And it's, it's all. I think what's happened. What happened in the eighties and eighties and nineties is they became a lot more subgenres. All the Golden Age writers, because they were creating the entire field. Yeah, they were, because they were, they were actually before them there was that's interesting because Jules Verne wrote scientific romances. That's what they called them back in the day, Starla. So you. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so. I, don't, I don't like the term sci-fi romance because people automatically think of aliens, and that's not what I write. So no. No. well, you know, <laughs> the, the, the the story by Anne McCaffrey was a scientific was a mm -hmm. scientific science fiction romance as well. Sure. Um, Sure. Actually, I'm, I'm going to interject, Stephen. Just, I'm seeing this yawning chasm of topic looming before us, and it's, it's all my fault. No, no, it's not you. It was me. I asked the question, uh, uh, and, and I, sh I should have just 
sideline table that for another uh, uh, roundtable dialogue, and I probably will. Um, but what I want to do right now is just go once more around the table and and just give some some final thoughts. Colin, I, I know we didn't get you to, to weigh in, as, or actually, I think you kind of let us off on the genre mashup thing. So you you have been served on that on that topic. But uh, go ahead and and just some final thoughts, if you would, on on the nature of near future sci-fi, uh, the quote unquote, and I'm going to do that now death of cyberpunk because uh, as, as every one of you have pointed out it's not dead it just got absorbed uh and uh did, take it take us home give us give us something to, to to bow this up with oh um okay um <laughs> that's a tough question I, I, I don't know where it goes from here to be honest i literally have zero ideas um i just like, like steve i just write whatever comes into my head um I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, I tend to track the technology. I've got a little Tumblr site called Uploading My Brain. Um, and on there, I just link things from various tech blogs. And I just use that as, as, as a, an inspiration just to kind of see where things are going. And at the moment, I can't see where we're going to go or, or what the future is. I think all it is a case of is just writing your ideas. You know, things come to me. Most of my story ideas come from the internet. Because funny enough, actually, uh, Alistair gave the exact two-word answer that I was going to give to the last question. And that was the answer is the internet. The internet, it, yeah. that, That's what's changed everything because we've got such an amalgamation of ideas. It's, you know, we've got globalization now inside Twitter and Facebook and whatever. You know, globalization is this tiny little thing that we're constantly seeing a stream of. Um, and I think that's where near-future SF or any SF, to be fair, is going to go. It's going to be amalgamation of ideas. It's going to be people's reactions. Um, it's going to be, like I mentioned earlier on, about uh, how people are going to react to human cloning, um, how people are going to react to quantum computing, and how people are going to react to loss of jobs and how society is going to change, and also how the Western world is going to kind of die off and the Middle East and African countries are going to rise and tensions between those. Um, so I think there's a lot of mileage in sort of society-based SF. Um, you know, one, one thing that comes to mind, just to give someone a, a picture of kind of what I'm thinking of, is the film District Nine, yes. know, where the aliens come down. And again, that, that kind of touches on um, the idea of how technology kind of gets absorbed into the natural world. You know, you've got this kind of quite a poor state of a country, and in the middle, you've got these aliens with this, you know, advanced tech. Um, yeah, so, so I think it's yeah, globalization, wider societies, and how that affects uh, up and coming countries. I think that will be. Uh, a way to go for near future SF, okay. but that's, that's one of a hundred thousand ideas. You know, <laughs> Absolutely, you, 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 you could go anywhere. I literally sure. have no idea. Just before, uh, uh, and we'll we'll come back around and give everybody's URLs. But Colin, what's the URL for that Tumblr, real quick? Uh, uploading my brain dot Tumblr or something. Hang on. Uh, yeah, uploading my brain, all one word dot Tumblr dot com. Outstanding. Uh, Outstanding, and we'll and we'll come back around and get everybody's URLs. But Al, I know you've you've got a, a time crunch staring you in the face. So so final thoughts, and then we'll we'll bid you a fond adieu. No problem, and thank you. Um, yeah, final thoughts. I'm, I let, let me just marshal them for a moment, and we're done. Good. <laughs> the the short version is nothing dies, let alone um, fictional genres. Uh, I would, and I have the advantage of coming at this from a non-fiction standpoint as opposed to a fiction standpoint. I don't think there's been a better time to write near future SF. I don't think there's been a larger market. I don't think there's been a wider breadth of opportunity. And I think the authors who will thrive in this field 
well, I've been talking to three of them tonight, but I think the authors that will thrive in this field are people who embody the qualities that Stella's work and Colin and Stephen all do, which is a willingness to look, this, look to look at this vast, almost completely unmapped territory, not as something to be frightened of, but something to go out and conquer. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Um, uh, uh, Starla, uh, closing thoughts, final wrap ups, uh, uh, suggestions. Colin actually kind of invoked a, a cool thing. Where do we go from here? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I'm excited to see where we go from here. Um, you know, they used to refer to America as the cultural melting pot. And while I don't necessarily think that was entirely true, you know, <laughs> still fighting some of those things, but, yeah. uh, I, I definitely think it's, it's getting to be more and more true for, for genre fiction, especially or fiction in general. Um, I think it's an exciting time to be a writer. Um, I look forward to many new writing adventures, <laughs> you know, <laughs> blending these different worlds. And I look forward to reading some of them too, because what people are creating is just blowing my mind these days. Absolutely. Ah, oh, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yep. Uh, Steven, what about you, sir? Closing thoughts. I think science fiction's waiting for science to cut. Science is at the moment we're in a Copernicus Kepler moment. You know they they're amassing data. They haven't got. They need the next Newton to come along and make it all make sense. Oh, wow. When that happens, when that happens, because that's what happened with science fiction: Einstein and Niels Bohr, quantum mechanics and um, relativity, and that's what kicked off the whole science fiction explosion. The, 20th century, and I think we're we're waiting in now because nothing. They just get the Higgs boson means that the standard model is right, and that means there's no new science involved. All the science is stuff we already know. So I think that's what's happening in terms of. Uh, so I think science fiction is waiting for science to do something. Was for for somebody for a genius to come along and redefine the map completely, you know, and then and then and then science fiction has as something to bite into because we are still just playing with the same old tropes that they were playing with 50, 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. They have nothing's changed, you it's, know. We're still playing with the same stuff, yeah. The same two, the same toy box. In near future, I was glad to hear what Al, what Alistair said, but um, yeah, it is it is difficult because I. I, I you write something and and suddenly it's it's, it's I wrote the story. Uh, it's on write a lot. Horace says goodbye, which is which is about car ringtones, about electric cars didn't don't make noise, so therefore you'd have to supply a noise for it, and <laughs> kids would start using that to to, to you know the beat like ringtones for cars be really annoying, and uh, I think maybe a month after I wrote that and and stuck it up and write a lot on click BBC click was doing an episode on uh, the putting, putting, putting noises on the car, under electric cars so pedestrians knew they were coming. Wow. So it, it, that is, it's, it's literally like all that you, you go, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. And by the time you've written the story, it's happened. <laughs> exactly. Which is the foundation for this whole discussion. You know? and, sure. and, it's, and it's interesting that, that while you were all discussing, talking when we devolved into the genre mashup thing that I let us all down into, uh, it, it got me thinking that, you know, there, there may be a whole new genre evolving, even as we speak somewhere. I, I, I don't know, but, but just this, this whole conversation has been so liberating for me uh, as an as an aspiring writer to to rethink 
how you approach your stories. You know, Stephen, you're a pantser, and I and I totally get behind uh, the organic perspective of things. Colin, your your perspective of the essence of the story being the foundation of it and and starla you're just your bubbling excitement uh and enthusiasm <laughs> for embracing it because it, it is it's it's horrifying i think for for some writers to 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 i think a lot of us and i when i say us i mean me uh are very um uh concerned about being right in our science fiction right. if we're doing right. that and and the the takeaway for me of this has really been don't worry about re being right it all goes again as it always does goes back to writing a good story and being faithful mm -hmm. to that so oh, don't get me wrong i've got an obsession with getting it right too so you <laughs> not believe the amount of research i do <laughs> sure sure and absolutely and, and you have to because that feeds the that feeds the junkyard that you then mm -hmm. draw on and and pull from brian what about you man what what, what are you taking away from this well, I think for me, it's it's not as much about the science as it is what we do with it and how we use it in the story. And so, as long I think as long as we keep one eye as a society on tomorrow's purposefully unethical use of technology, or not what's what might be coming up and and how cool that is, but what might be coming up and how we could actually use it unethically and you know to to just do some some major damage um and as long as that's around i think we'll always have the dna of cyberpunk whether the indigenous cyberpunk tribe is extinct or not um and i don't think that we're ever going to to lose the interest and fear of what is and maybe shouldn't be developed and as long as that fear is around i think the the kernel of cyberpunk will always be there um and that's really what it's about for me that's outstanding that's outstanding Fucking brilliant. I love this stuff. <laughs> um, and I'm going to wrap up this discussion with, with a quote that uh, uh, I found uh, during my research. Um, uh, the, an axiom that all science fiction is about the present, which I believe uh, comes from William Gibson. Uh, and uh, a corollary that was science fiction tells you nothing about the future except what the present thinks about it. Mm. So, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think yep. so too. Yep. So... Dear friends, this has been epic uh, uh, and, and so wonderful to, to, to be sharing the mic with my man, Brian, uh, and, and getting back into this, this, this vital discussion that I think has, has really, in the last 45 minutes or so, uh, uh, opened up a lot of possibilities uh, uh, for writers and for fans uh, uh, who, are, who are looking for what, what's coming down the road. Um, so, Colin, uh, uh, there, are, there are many places where the world can find your awesomeness on the web. Uh, uh, do please enlighten us as to what those locations are. Okay, cool. Um, the main place where you can pretty much find everything is my main website, which is colinfbarnes.com. Um, on there, you'll find links to Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, etc., etc. Um, I also have my publisher website, which is anachronpress.com. That's spelled A-N-A-C-H-R-O-N. Uh, again, you can find some of my work, but mostly other people's work. There's short stories, anthologies, novels, all different genres there. You know, it's a big melting pot. Um, you can talk to me on Twitter, and my handle is just Colin F. Barnes. Um, that's my author name, Colin F. Barnes. So if you go onto Amazon, uh, you'll find my books, uh, Artificial Evil, and the new one, Assembly Code, which will be out hopefully in about a month. And I've got a new novella coming out called The Daedalus Code. Squee! Um, Squee! Yeah, so I'm really excited about that one. And a couple of short stories. It's, it's quite a lot ready kind of to come out in the next two or three weeks um but yeah go find me on colinfbarns.com or come and chat with me on twitter i'm there pretty much all day every day i'm sitting here in front of my computer so um yeah come and have a chat 
Epic. Epic. Outstanding. Awesome. Starla, where where can we find you in all of your awesomeness? I am all over the place with my you awesomeness. Are. You <laughs> are. You spread your awesomeness all around. Uh, well, they can mostly, they can find links to all of my stuff at StarlaHutchton.com. It's H-U-C-H-T-O-N. Um, I just had a new book come out, uh, Maven, released June 3rd. The second one is coming out August 26th. Uh, the third one uh, is out November 23rd. Eighth and uh, the fourth one in the series, the final one in the story arc is February twenty sixth. Holy um, smokes, Starla! Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> That's those awesome. are uh, yeah. Maven is on Amazon, all that stuff. Um, they can find my voice on various different podcasts, um, like this one. Um, <laughs> I like I said, I'm an unreliable narrator. I've done the first three books of the Emperor's Edge series by Lindsay Broker, uh, a few other books, um, including one of my own, which is a full cast podcast novel called The Dreamer's Thread. Um, let's see. Um, I'm on Twitter. I am at R I Z N P H N X said risen Phoenix. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that a lot of the vowels. Um, and I'm, I'm like Colin in that I'm, I'm all over the Twitters 24 hours a day. So, um, I am on Facebook. I have a Facebook author page. Um, you know, all, all that stuff. All of that. Goes. Um, a little bit on Google plus not too much with that, but uh, cause I always forget, but, <laughs> uh, my design stuff is at designed by Starla.com do book covers, um, for various folks around the, uh, indie author community, as well as some, some uh, I guess you'd call them smaller publishers. Sure. But um, yeah. So, yeah. uh, that's pretty much all of them. Yep, there. and and I will I will vouch for for Star- the awesomeness of Starla's artwork. She's created some some gorgeous, evocative book covers. Friends, do check those out. Alistair, go ahead and give us all of the many URLs where we can find you at. Oh, good lord! Right, uh, I blog regularly at alistairstewart.com. My name is a conspiracy by my parents to have been spelled as awkwardly as possible, so I'll spell that out. It's A-L-A-S-D-A-I-R-S-T-U-A-R-T. So that's alistairstewart.com. I talk about movies there. I talk about TV, gaming, cooking. Um, I'm teaching myself to cook a wide variety of things, uh, often hilariously. Um, (laughs) Various other things. Pseudopod, the horror podcast I host, is at pseudopod.org. Escape Pod, the um, science fiction podcast that I co-host with Norm Sherman, is at escapepod.org. Podcastle, which I do almost no work for, but they're lovely people and I'd feel bad not mentioning them, are at podcastle.org. I blog regularly for sfx.co.uk where I actually recently interviewed Stala. Um, and I, I review, uh, the, I'm about to wrap up reviewing the first season of Defiance there, and my reviews are immense. They're like 2,000 word breakdowns <laughs> of each episode. Um, but the last couple of weeks, I've uh, I've shone a light on a small press anthology that's looking for submissions. I've interviewed Starla. I've reviewed an episode of Defiance. I've interviewed Professor Elemental, the fantastic British chat pop steampunk rapper. I do all <laughs> kinds of stuff there. Uh, and finally, um, I also do occasional work for BleedingCool.com. That's not so frequent these days, but that's um, movie stuff, trailer dissections, interviews with comic people. Uh, and that's me. Oh, and I'm on Twitter at, at Alistair Stewart. Not <laughs> at at Alistair Stewart, although I kind of want one of those. <laughs> you want an at at Alistair Stewart? There you go. Yeah. And, and that, that, there we go. There it is. <laughs> so basically, me. you can't swing a dead cat on the internet without hitting Alistair Stewart. Outstanding. I know. I, know. <laughs> I kind of feel like I should apologize. No, no, no. It's a glorious, glorious thing. And uh, Stephen, sir, uh, where can we find your your gloriosity on the web? Uh, yeah. Um, 
I'm just gobsmacked that everybody's got so many places to go to. Um, you can find me. Uh, you can find my stuff on writealot.net, which is uh, a writers with his 14 different writers, and it's new, new stuff every day. And I'm one of the writers on that. So writealot.net. You can find some of my stuff on there. My own my own site is actually down at the moment, but it's a. Uh, I haven't got because I'm a new. I didn't I didn't write any of this down. So it's a strip mining Mobius, and it's a WordPress site. Brilliant. Uh, um, that's going to be going back up sometime this week. I'm just fiddling with fiddling with it. Um, Fire Dance Books is the writers collective I'm part of, and that's on Facebook. So you can look for Fire Dance Books on on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter. And it's P K G Z uh, double capital P capital K G E S I C and that's my that's my handle on that. Um, oh, I've got a, a novella out called Tales of Shonry City of Lights. That's through Fire Dance Books, and I've got uh, a new a, a new mainstream fantasy novel coming out, probably in, in it's, called, it's called Kinless. And that'll probably be in about, uh, it's going through copy editing now, so it should be about six to eight weeks before that comes out under Firedance Books. And Firedance Books will be at ReaderCon Ooh, this year. Ooh, awesome. So right. it's in, it's in, I think that's July the 17th, I think. So they, they, they're actually going to be there as well, with one in uh, Massachusetts, I think, or Salem or whatever. Very cool. Very cool. So friends, yeah. check out Firedance at, uh, at ReaderCon. That's outstanding. Yes, Mike Gallant is going to be running the store there. Sweet. Outstanding. Thank you, Stephen. And no. and and Brian, dude, actually yeah. you you've got some some stuff to pimp as well, do you not? <laughs> well, um since memory is up on Amazon and probably by the time that this airs, I'll finally have it up um everywhere else through Smashwords. But there is a print version now through Amazon, which is nice. Awesome. Um and if you want to look at uh, anything to do with that, you can go to sensememory.net outstanding and yeah. brian are there going to be any convention appearances by you in the future <laughs> no ah. not not in the near future not in the <laughs> cyberpunk future all right very well but, very uh, maybe well. maybe the distant future once i've settled into to my new job i'm gonna so. drag your ass kicking and screaming to mile high con someday and, that's and, i'm hoping that you do i'm expecting <laughs> awesome very cool awesome. uh well i i must extend a deep gratitude to all of our our guests at the table uh for this intriguing insightful and enlightening discussion thank you all so much for sharing so generously and dear friends as always thank you for tuning in you guys complete the circuit for us thank you also, on a personal note, for all of your support, uh, uh, all of the love that I've been feeling on the Twitters and the Facebooks and the G Plus and the emails, uh, I, I literally could not ask for a, a more profound affirmation of life and, and the provision of solid ground beneath my feet than the words that have, have come from so many of you, and I'm, I'm so deeply grateful. And my, my, my mother is also grateful. I've been sharing some of your emails with her, and she's going how do these people know me? <laughs> it's like, mom, I need to explain the internet to you. Um, but uh, be that as it may be, uh, I don't know when the next round table dialogues will happen, uh, but I do know it's going to happen because this was too awesome to let it be a one-off. So, so stay tuned, keep your ear to the round table feed and it will be awesome. Brian, who knows how long it's going to be between now and then, uh, but any right. suggestions on what they might be doing to, to fill that vast void of time 
the best thing that they can do is go right. Damn Skippy, baby. Yes, yep. absolutely. And and I'm going to follow that advice. Uh, and I'm also going to adv- uh, admonish everyone, as I always do, that, that you find what you're looking for. So, so don't look for reasons not to. Look for reasons to. Uh, look for the awesome stuff. You will find it because you so richly deserve it. Uh, Until next time, friends, this is the Roundtable Podcast. Thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you want. And you can even use pieces of the podcast in your own productions. Just make sure you attribute us as the source and release your production under the same licensing terms. We'd like to thank our panelists for this Roundtable Dialogues, Alistair Stewart, Colin F. Barnes, Starla Hutchton, and Stephen Godden. Your insights, expertise, and passion for the topic made this dialogue exceptional. We greatly appreciate you joining us at the table. Stay tuned to the Roundtable feed for more Roundtable Dialogues. And as always, thank you for listening.